as they finish uh, taking communion now, I'll, I'll tell you, if you're, if you're like Ryland, you're wondering, like, is he going to preach? Like, like when are we going to get out of here? Ryland was like, are you going to still preach? Still going to preach? I said, yeah, I'm slated for an hour. We're going to be fine. So, um, no, I knew, I knew this was all going to happen, this extended song service. It's so beautiful, and just, can we just give them a round of applause again? Like, thank you. A lot of work goes into this, and they, they meet weekly, and just really cool to be able to experience that this morning. Um, so we are, um, we are taking a break for the next two weeks. Uh, so this Sunday and then Christmas Sunday, we're taking a break from our, our normal sermon series. We have been in the Gospel According to Luke. Um, and so these two weeks, we're going to do a special series, two-week series, and we're going to study famous, two famous Christmas verses, okay? Christmas verses. Actually, we're going to, for the next two weeks, just stick with Isaiah 9, verse 6. And seven. That's where we'll sit for the next two weeks. There is so much in these verses, but we're just going to take two weeks to unpack what we can around the Christmas season. Then, uh, those of you interested, on January 1st, Sunday, January 1st, we're picking back up in our sermon series through the Psalms. We'll pick up with Psalm 16, all right? And we'll grab several more, and then after we've done many weeks of the Psalms, we'll jump right back into the Gospel according to Luke. Uh, and by 2042... We will have preached through both those books. All right. Here it is. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Famous verses. I'm sure you've heard them. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You heard those verses before? Sure you have. This morning we're going to just sit with the first 13 words. Just for our short time together. These are the words I want to sit with. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. These are the words we probably remember most out of this passage. This is this great promise that a child is coming. A child will be born. This is really good news that this child is coming into the world. But here's the thing about those 13 words. This isn't the first time there's been a promise made that a child's coming into the world. Interesting enough, Isaiah is actually hyperlinking back many years ago. When those words were first spoken, that same theme of a child coming into the world, he's hyperlinking back to the first pages of the book of Genesis. You remember how it all started in the beginning. God created the world and he created Adam and Eve. Everything was good and Adam and Eve, they were really good. And everything was going right. As they obeyed God, He stayed in fellowship with humans. They lived in what, what is called the Garden of Eden, this paradise where humans and God were in fellowship. Humans ruling the earth in fellowship and in the power of their Creator. But then a serpent arrives. We don't know where he comes from, we just know he arrives. Many think that this is Satan in the form of the serpent. And you remember what happens. He tempts 
Adam and Eve, right? And then ultimately, they take this forbidden fruit, they eat it, and from there, everything goes downhill. And there's this moment after they have eaten the forbidden fruit, they see themselves naked. Their sin is already impacting their relationship. No doubt their relationship to God. They're trying to hide from Him. They're blaming each other. Everybody's casting blame. And God comes in with a word. And He's going to say something Adam and Eve, but He starts by saying something to the serpent. Because in that moment, what was the team God and humans is now the team Satan and humans. The humans have moved to the opponent's side. And in that situation, God speaks these words. He speaks them to the serpent. Here's what He says. Genesis 3, verse 14 through 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, I will put enmity, that's division, between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In that moment when it looked like all was lost, as Adam and Eve are about to be cast into darkness, they're about to leave paradise, when it seems like Satan has got got his team together, God says, no, I'm breaking the band apart. There will be division between you and these humans, and there's a day coming when someone's coming from the woman who will crush your head. Now, you make an attempt, but in the end, he will crush you. He will destroy you and your power. A child's coming into the world. And in the midst of their rebellion, their sin, it is a cosmic rebellion that has had impact up to our day. In the midst of them being cast into darkness, outside of the land of paradise, God speaks a word of promise and He says, a child will be born and a son's going to be given. And see, you fast forward thousands of years later and you get up to the day of Isaiah where these words we just read, where they're spoken, we have to realize that every text has a context. And these words of promise don't just come out of nowhere. In the same way that Adam and Eve were living in darkness because of their sin, what we need to realize is that in Isaiah, before we ever get to chapter 9, we had to go through chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. And in Isaiah chapter 8, we read about the rebellion of this people. This people Israel, who just like Adam and Eve, they have continued to rebel, trying to do life their way, how they want it, disregarding the commands of God. And at the end of chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 8, we read about their condition and the way it's going to play out for them. And it will continue to play out. Here's what we read, the end of Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20 through 22. We'll read out the New Living Translation here to get the sense of the text. Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict His Word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down to the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into darkness. In the same way that Adam and Eve sin lead them out of the Garden of Eden into darkness, 
So it has happened again. Fast forward thousands of years later, and again, God's people have rebelled. And they are now again in darkness. But in the beginning, God didn't give up on Adam and Eve. And He didn't give up on His people Israel. God comes with a promise. And before you ever get to those famous verses 6 and 7, He starts that beam of hope in Isaiah 9 with these words. Here's the way Isaiah 9 starts. Nevertheless. The last word we just read, by the way, at the end of chapter 8 was darkness. The next word that comes in Isaiah 9, 1 is nevertheless. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nepali. In the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light of those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. Now, if you've been with us in this, in this study through the Gospel according to Luke, you'll remember that John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, when John the Baptist is born, he breaks out into song. And Zechariah will pull from these verses. Because he says, my son, John the Baptist, my son will, will point to a light. And that light will dawn on the Gentiles living in darkness. He knew that his son would point to a light, a light that was coming into the world that would light up every person. That is, light would come into the world to give hope to those living in darkness, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to every kind of human being. Zechariah knew that his son was pointing to a promised one. And here's why this is so important. That's why, why this is so important, because this theme of darkness, man, we so often miss it. So I want to bring it back. Here's how I'm going to summarize what we've just said in a very short amount of time. Here's how I want to summarize why Jesus is so important. The reason the birth of this child matters I'll catch the parentheses. This child who is the one God promised to Eve, who is the same one God promised through Isaiah, who is the same one promised to be born to Mary, is because He brings His people out of darkness. Darkness caused by our sin. This is the underbelly of Christmas. Now, I get it. Who doesn't like lighting candles and putting up Christmas trees? Putting lights on the house. Maybe that one. I don't know. Maybe that one. That may be the one we don't want. Um, but like, who doesn't like the festivities? But the underbelly of Christmas is that it had to happen because of your rebellion and mine. And so when the early Christians begin to think about this Jesus who came into the world, they just don't talk about all the good things, all the parties, all the wonderful light He brings. They make sure to grab the reality that this One who came into the world, who was promised to Eve, who I hyperlinked to, who then gets pulled all the way up to that announcement to Mary. That's the same child that's been promised all the way back from the beginning. That one will pull us out of darkness 
Darkness created by you and me trying to be God. Christmas highlights your sin and mine. And so, it's no surprise that in one of his letters, Paul wrote this about Jesus. Watch the theme. We see it from Genesis, and it runs all the way up into the letter up to the Colossians. Paul wrote this. That should be Colossians 1. That's me. That's on me. Colossians 1, verse 12 through 14. We give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light, for He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We lived in darkness. And the one promised to Eve, who then was declared by Isaiah, a child is born, a son is given. That is the one that was promised to Mary who finally came into the world to do what? To take us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the light of His Son. We will never understand how great the light of the kingdom of the Son is until we know where we came from. These 13 words have packed within them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it really highlights not only the hope, but why we even needed hope. Because there was darkness caused by our sin. So let's make some application. Let's make some application. Here it is. I got one. I've got one application. One thing I want to just sit with, just for a second. We need to be careful. Now, in the original version of this, I said, we need to be careful not to be so arrogant. But I thought, oh, I might be too judgy. So I took that out. So I won't tell you about that part. We need to be careful not to think that just because we're Christians, we'll never forget the reason for the season. You remember some years ago when everybody started saying happy holidays? Places like Target and Starbucks. It was just an uproar. No, it's Christmas. You have to remember the reason for the season. As if we would never forget as Christians. But here's the thing about being a human being. What you pay attention to is what will shape you. What you pay attention to will shape you. And so, as we walk through our broader culture, we're picking up the Christmas air that just hovers. Just hovers around in the commercials and in the ads on social media. It's just hovering there in Walmart and Starbucks. And we just pick it up. And one pastor scholar, he had this commentary on what Christmas has become. I thought it was short, concise, but insightful. Here's what he said. The celebration of Christmas in the 21st century is wrapped in nostalgia and infused with hopes and dreams. The sweetest of these dreams is peace. Peace between nations, peace between family members, peace with ourselves. We just, it's just all happy. It's like unicorns and rainbows. That's what Christmas is. I'd add to this that Christmas has become self-indulgent, full of consumerism. And we just pick this up. We pick it up. And we think just because we're Christians, we would never forget the reason for the season. But I think, if we're honest, Sometimes we pick more, pick up more of Target's Christmas than Jesus' Christmas. I just made that up. I'm not picking on Target. Okay, listen. We like Target. We just chop at Target. Just 
I don't want anyone getting all upset. We like Target. But I think you get where I'm coming from. And where this starts to, where this seeps in maybe most is in those Christmas songs. I'm going to go there for a second. If you Google top modern Christmas song, you want to take a guess which one you're going to get? Don't guess, I'll tell you. It's Mariah Carey. That's right. Did you watch the Macy's Day Parade? That really bad performance right at the end? That's right. She was singing the most popular modern Christmas song. I want you to, you're not going to hear me sing it, just hear it while I speak it, the opening lyrics to that song. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just, I don't need, now Kathy? I, okay. I'm judging this song. I don't need someone singing this song. I have to baptize Kathy. <laughs> or whoever, I don't know. All right, baptize you five, six times. Okay, here we go. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents under the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own. More than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. What's Christmas all about? Me. And me getting you. That's what Christmas is about. And I know we can chuckle, and it, I mean, there is some part of this that is funny, but seriously, when we listen to these songs over and over, it doesn't take long that Christmas is now about family, and Christmas is now about you, and Christmas is about me, and Christmas is just about us, and we just wrap it with nostalgia and peace and love and sing Kumbaya, or this song. But Christmas highlights your sin and my sin. Don't you ever, ever forget the reason Jesus had to come in the world is not so that we'd all be happy. It's because our cosmic rebellion had to be dealt with. And God in His grace sent His Son into the world to assume our humanity so that He could pay our debt. There is such a thing as divine wrath and we have been under it in our sin. That is darkness. And so we need Christmas songs that give us that theology. I know these other ones sound good, and I'm not against listening to them. I'm not here saying, get rid of your holiday playlist. But I am saying, make sure you keep the main thing in front of your eyes and your ears and in your heart. You've got to do it, because if not, you're going to pick up the cultural Christmas. You just go pick it up by breathing. Here's one song. You just heard it sang. Take a look at this. Here's another Christmas song. Here are the lyrics. Here's how they start. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and air pining. What was the problem? Sin. That was the problem. Till he appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. What was wrong with the other morning? It was full of darkness. 
And so as we go into Christmas, as we think about just these 13 words, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, never forget that the reason that you and I needed a Christmas was because we were living in a nightmare. And when you and I choose to do what we want, when we want it, how we want it, because we really are God, you might as well go right back into a world weary. Sin and air pining. We needed Christmas because we were in darkness. That's the underbelly of Christmas. But you know what else that is? It's the good news of Jesus. It's the good, that's the gospel. So here's what, here's the next step. Here's the next step. Try to make it, uh, try to give it a Christmas feel. Right here. Listen to O Holy, o Holy Night once a day. Just listen to it once a day. Keep your Mariah Carey, but you put alongside it some O Holy Night. Because we don't want to lose, truly don't want to lose the reason for the season. Let me pray for us. Uh, right after I pray, I think we're going into the last song, right? Okay. You see what time it is. You're welcome. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, and we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the promised child back in the beginning that was then repeated through Isaiah and then finally came to Mary. Thank you through Christ, His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. We can be a people transferred into the kingdom of the light of Your Son. Convict us of our sin. And make sure to infuse us with all the hope that Christmas gives. We do not live now in a world with, uh, full of sin. We are a people who have been bought by Christ. And we look forward to the day of new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And we thank you for that. And we pray this now in the name of him who is our Savior and Lord Jesus. And together we say, Amen.